Hello, welcome, and thanks for checking in today to No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer. I'm an Airbnb ambassador and 17-time super host, and I've hosted over 1,000 reservations. I'm a stay-at-home mom of two and manage my eight listings remotely. My mission is to help new and experienced vacation rental hosts turn their listings into fully booked, profitable properties that can be managed from anywhere, so you too can have no vacancies. If that sounds good to you, let's get right into the show. everybody and welcome back to another episode of No Vacancy the podcast. I'm your host Natalie Palmer and today we have on Kenny Bedwell who is the CEO of STR Insights. I'm really excited for this episode. We're going to dive deep into some data and look at everything that you should be considering and all of the factors when you are looking at your next purchase for a short-term rental. So Kenny, maybe we can selfishly use this time for me to run through some of the things that I'm considering and you can steer me either towards the right direction or away from it if it ends up not making sense. Absolutely. That's what we do best. So happy to help. (laughs) Okay. First of all, I'll ask you before I tell you kind of where I'm considering, what are some of the markets that are popping up in your opinion that are the best for I know it depends if you're trying to go in for like appreciation or cash flow or cash on cash return, but just give us like a broad overview of maybe like five to 10 markets that you're seeing are doing really well right now. Five to 10 on the spot here. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. It doesn't uh, have to be five to 10. No, 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 no. <laughs> and uh, rattle off them. So yeah, th- thanks again, Natalie, for having me on here. Super excited to be a part of it. And just so everybody knows, STR Insights, we're a data company. We offer software solutions. We help people identify markets to invest in. So that's kind of our thing. We also help people find properties because ultimately that's what you want, right? Is a profitable short-term rental that's going to cash flow. And so we kind of do the software and we provide the service. But going to the market side, I mean, there are... There's actually a lot of great markets and a lot of people, you know, I think we all heard the Airbnb bust thing going on. And I don't know if you did an episode on that or talked about that with your listeners, but, you know, we got featured in a couple of news articles because we ourselves and AirDNA and KeyDate all kind of debunked it. And we worked together to kind of show, hey, look, like, you know, it's just sure there's a downtick in a lot of markets, but it's not 50%. It's not even 30%. So it's still a great time to invest in short-term rentals, but there are certain markets that are better than others, depending on your circumstances and what you're trying to achieve. What I mean by that, and you kind of touched on it is like, Hey, I want to invest in a property that's going to have a lot of appreciation, you know? So, well, there's going to be, you know, great markets, in say like, I mean, popular markets, think of popular Florida, Tennessee, even like the Smokies, like all the markets we know of, maybe even Big Bear. I mean, over over a 30 year span, properties will greatly appreciate in those markets. But if you're like, hey, I, I want more cash flow, I want the cash up front, maybe I want to replace my W2 income or have that supplemental income coming in, appreciation, I don't care so much. Maybe we look at some of the emerging markets and I'll share some of those with you because that's kind of like the more exciting markets to take a look at or the emerging ones that are growing even after COVID. So one thing I like to do, Natalie, is I like to go and look at the statistics from the national parks. Have you ever done that before? No, I haven't. 
So you can go to the National Parks website for the United States and they will show you the visitor traffic statistics for the parks. And you can see traffic to the parks year over year. And what's helpful for that is a lot of the great markets out there are near national parks. And you can see whether they got a big boost from COVID, which most of them did, but then kind of like this downtick. And you can see the trend over not just five years, but 15, 20, 30, depends on when the park started. I mean, I think they started tracking it like the 70s. So you can see the number of visitors throughout time. And there's a lot of national parks that are still growing. We try and we've seen that trend over time. And there's a few though, that are actually a little bit better declining. And so- One market, for example, Blue Ridge, we see North Georgia mountains is that market had a huge bump from COVID, but before COVID it was declining. Guess where it is? It's come back down to reality again, right? So Mm. we look for the trends. We look for traffic drivers in markets that are doing well. And that's what helps us identify emerging markets. So a roundabout way, a long way to answer your question though, some of our, our favorite markets we're looking at. So Northern Michigan, we'll start there. So Mears, Michigan, Traverse City up in there, there's Sleeping Dunes National Park, I think is the name of it. That's a big one that is just huge. There's not a lot of places to stay up there. There's about 1300 short-term rentals in that region, but there are, I think over a million plus people there ever that go there every single year to see the, the park in that area. It's a vacation area, wow. believe it or not. Okay. Uh, so that's one market. We'll start there. We'll go around the country. Okay. Uh, another market, not national park, but a ski resort area. I'll give you two ski resorts is Newry. This is probably one of my favorite ski resort markets in terms of growth at Newry. It's a Sunday river resort, which is supposed to be the large, one of the largest ski resorts in the Northeast of the United States. They are investing about 200 million over the next, they said 10 years, but they've already done half of that in like two years. So it's huge, it's massive ski area. And this area is just exploded with growth and the short-term rentals are just year over year. I like to look at not just the trailing 12, but how did it do in 2022 versus 2023 and compare those numbers. And the the numbers are better, you know, for most short-term rentals, mm-hmm. number, which is impressive where a lot of markets, the average is kind of down. So I like that area. We move more to the West Coast because I'm sure a lot of your listeners are on that side. Taos, New Mexico. So there's four El Prado, Angel Fire. There's four big ski resorts there. They're dumping in, I think they said 350 million or something around a lot of money into the ski resorts over the next few years and expanding those. A lot of people from California go there. Very popular. That's probably... For West Coast people out there, it's probably the best ski market to invest in for cash flow. Okay. Colorado's tough. Montana's tough. Utah's tough nowadays. So it's like, hey, you know, but I love Taos. Other markets really, really like, this one's going to be a preference, but Hot Springs, Arkansas. It's near Hot Springs National Park. You've got Lake Hamilton there. You've got obviously the National Park. Very, it's growing in popularity. What I like to call the barrier of entry, meaning the quality of short-term rentals in a market is significantly low Mm. in a hot springs. You know, Mm -hmm. like people don't have hot tubs. People don't have, they have pictures off their phones on as their Airbnb listing. Like to me, that smells like opportunity, Yeah, you know? And so we see a lot of really good deals in that area. Branson's okay. You can, you know, kind of central area. Lake of the Ozarks. If people have seen the show Ozark, it's not just a bunch of 
people doing was it heroin yeah <laughs> it's, it's, there are tourists there <laughs> there are tourists there yes yeah. so yeah very seasonal but it's it's a market under the radar so if you're not afraid of seasonality the ozarks check out the ozarks seriously you can get a i'm seeing newer properties listed around 800 to 900,000 on the lake like big five bedroom six bedroom houses doing 180 to 200,000 i mean like that's, that's pretty solid stuff. So definitely check out that area, but keep in mind it is seasonal. You have like the summer season, but if you're okay with that, like I have properties in New York, that's where I live. They're on the lake and my occupancy for the year is 30%, but I gross almost a hundred thousand dollars off of a $350,000 purchase. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's just about, well, you know, if you're okay with seasonality, then there's some great markets out there. I'll, I'll, I'll rattle off two more and we can talk about some other things because okay. right? I'm kind of, you know, going through, you know, more popular markets. I'm seeing that like people, there's still good deals in Western North Carolina, you know, Asheville area that's really boomed in the last year or two. Got a report from the airport recently. They said that they have two and a half times the number of traffic through their airport wow. in the last year in 2022. And then this year they've already hit that number and they're playing, they think they'll double it. So it's just, it's a flying destination. It's no longer a drive-in. And then let me see if you're, let's do West again, Corum. So Glacier National Park area, Corum, Montana, which is near Glacier up near Whitefish area. Great, great market to invest in as well. So a lot of, it it depends when people ask me, but I, you know, it's just kind of, here's a diverse amount of markets that, that might, might be good for, for everyone listening or not. I don't know. (laughs) So, So One thing that stands out to me with that list is there was not a single city or like, you know, urban, urban market there. What is your take on investing in urban markets for a short term rental? I have a a running joke with one of my good friends and we took the top urban markets in the country and we compared it to the top most dangerous cities in the country. And like, they're all like in the same (laughs) top 10. Yeah. (laughs) When we think of the best urban markets, there are some that are doing really well. You have like Memphis, Tennessee, you know, Buffalo, New York, Birmingham, Alabama. I I say Louisville, but they've had a ton of short-term rental regulations. I don't really like want to, you know, Hey, everybody go there, but it, it does well. If you can get in Lexington, Kentucky is another one too. Yeah. Basically take the list of the most dangerous cities and there's your top urban <laughs> market, but it also has to deal with regulations. You know, yeah. a lot of cities have just cracked down and it's, it's gotten really hard and a lot of people had to switch over to midterm rentals. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's tricky and I'm, I'm not really a big fan of, I have properties in Buffalo, New York, to be clear, like that's, I'm heavily invested there. So I, I do invest in urban markets, but I, I want to be careful, though, when I tell everybody this, we want to invest in areas where the community sentiment is generally positive to short term rentals. So, mm-hmm. you know, depends on the city. Some <laughs> cities are like, yeah. no, other cities are like, yeah, OK, cool. Like, we're OK with it. And, and that's fine. St. Louis, Missouri is another good one, too, that came to mind that in Kansas City, even a lot of central U.S. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause I've noticed I've actually told my students and stuff in the past to avoid looking at top 10 lists online of the best STR markets, mm-hmm. because I've noticed I've repeatedly seen like San Francisco shows up on there because the yeah. nightly rate is absolutely insane, but it's so hard to get in there. So somebody might buy there thinking I just bought in the super profitable market. And then you find it's 
actually impossible to operate. Those numbers are based off of a few listings that were grandfathered in or something like that. So I agree with you. Urban markets are not my favorite, but I will ask you this caveat because I do run into some of my students. Their questions will be if I buy in, you know, a ski resort town or something and it doesn't go well, it ends up becoming oversaturated or demand drops down. I feel like I don't have the option to turn it into a midterm rental or a long-term rental in places like that. Yeah. What's kind of your thought on that? Like, are you just like the profits are so much higher on a short-term rental, you're willing to take that risk or what's, what's like your conversation there? Yeah. So I believe that there's a couple of things to unpack here. So I, I personally believe that whenever you make an investment, you want to, you want to invest in something that's not generic that can be wrapped replicated easily so what i mean by that is you know if you go buy a cabin somewhere you know can someone build a bigger and better cabin next to you or closer to whatever the geographical destination is that you know so basically what i'm saying is you kind of want to be first of the ones book no matter what also i love investing in markets where there's regulation so and i and i don't and there's a difference between regulation and community sentiment being negative so for example, you know, if I'm not saying go invest in, in San Francisco, but we'll take the market that I'm in, my lake market I'm in, they have put a cap on the number of short-term rentals in my market at 80. And there's over a million people here that come to this town to go to, there's like races and NASCAR races and it's a lake and also a state park. So awesome area. A lot of people, a lot of traffic in the summertime. That's where we do all our business. They put a cap on only 80 short-term rentals in the town. So there is no new competition that can come in. And the reason why I got in is because a seller of a property sold their permit. And because it was in the LLC, it was transferable. Complicated process. We can dive in if we want to, but complicated process. But anyway, I was able to get that. And I'm like only one of a few like five bedroom properties in that market. There's only like, I think like two or three other competitors. So all I have to do is compete against them. And that's not hard to do. And so even if demand dips slightly, which it definitely has, but I mean, you're talking like, oh, it dipped from, you know, maybe a million people to 900,000 or 800,000. There's only 80 short-term rentals. Yeah. So I've, I've created an island for myself for this particular property. If I go look in other markets and, and kind of what we've been doing, we help people find properties is we look for unique and not just like okay some crazy architectured property you know out in the ski area but we look for properties that stand out that are in the best location of that area and typically the strategy that i'll share with you that you're you know give this to your listeners is newer builds in the right location yield the best returns so what i mean by that is you know, I was looking at a in the Poconos. I was helping a client find a property in the Poconos. And we're seeing all these old properties for sale, properties off the lake that are updated. They look nice. But I'm like, no, it needs to be on the lake because that's why people are going there during the summertime. Yeah. That's the number one traffic driver. So it needs to be on the lake. And number two, it with a new construction, all the other houses around the lake were built in the 80s and 90s. There's like no new construction going on. So you know, we found a new construction property there and it's like, look, this new construction will be the biggest and baddest house on the lake. Like nobody's mm-hmm. going to be able to touch it. 
and it had a garage that we could turn into a game room, you know, and you could add in things with the build because the guy was still building it. And it was like, hey, go build us a dock, go add the hot tub plug in here, like do all these things to make it geared towards a short term rental. They will be booked first, always. Demand is not decreasing in any of these markets. It's all it's actually rising. It's just the number of supply you mentioned oversaturation. But saturation is never on a market level. It's on a property level, right? It's on a bedroom mm-hmm. level. And so what we what we got to do is focus on where are the inefficiencies or the holes in the market to provide that opportunity. And that's what we look for first when we study the market and then we look for properties. So I, I don't know if that really like kind of answered your question around about yeah. way, but there's a lot of pieces here. So that's what we're looking for. We build this strategy that kind of says, hey, let's put us on an island you know, that separates us from everybody else that can't be easily replicated in this market. And that hedges against the risk of, you know, saturation or decline in demand and all these other things that might occur that people are witnessing today. Okay, this conversation is about to get very interesting because those two things, new construction and best location are two things that I have actually personally been like, I don't know how important that is anymore. And let me tell you where I'm coming from. And we can have like a little debate here. Maybe you'll correct my errored ways. For me, I know like our, our one investment property that's just like doing really well is it was a 1980s build and we completely rehabbed it, spent about $50,000 on the reno and the rehab. But because of that, we added so much value that we were able to do a cash out refinance and pull 85,000 out. So we completely covered the cost of the rehab and added so much value to it. So I personally have been really interested in fixer uppers and older, more rundown places to add that value to. But now you're saying new build is the way to go. Strategy. It's a strategy. Okay. So you're, you're, you're laying out a, a, a different type of strategy, but I want to, you got to be careful here. So I'm going to give you an extreme example of where this could go wrong. So okay. first off, let's, let's back up a little bit. The Four thing. There's four categories of finding profitable deals. So number one, location. That's the most important category. You've got to be in the some of the best locations. If you're not, if you're not on the lake, you're off the lake. You're always going to be booked second. You're always going to be chasing. You know, if you're on the lake, you'll always be booked first. So that's the first one, location. The second one, which we're talking about now, is quality of the property. Right. So the interior and exterior quality. If you it wants people want nicer places and when they personally stay. So we need to have updated properties that look good. The third one is design and decor. I'm sure you talk about that a lot, you know, and the power of design and decor. And then the last one is value adds. So adding big amenities like pools, hot tubs, game rooms, things that really move the needle for revenue. So anyway, all four of those make up what, you know, revenue for a short, determine the revenue of a short-term rental. So what you just said is you're saying like, okay, yeah, we were kind of debating on the the quality, the second one, but if that property isn't in the right location, it doesn't have the right design and decor, and it doesn't have the right amenities that the market demands, it's not going to make any money. But if it does, which it sounds like your property does, then it, then it will. And that's fine. That's a, that's a, that's a great strategy. I've seen a ton of people, especially in when we have some of these houses too, we've got houses built 1864 is our oldest one in Buffalo. And we really hit on the, you know, eclectic feel, you know, we updated the property. It's not modern. It's everything's, you know, new, but it's not modern. It's eclectic, you know, it's kept the hardwood floors, the wood trim, you know, all the other stuff with it and gave it that mid-century modern feel, 
all credit to my wife, not me. That's not my stuff. But <laughs> it, it looks good. It, it attracts a particular type of guest, but it's not new. It's not new construction. It's not okay. any of that. We kept the old, but people like that because we're targeting a specific buyer persona. The new construction play is targeting a specific type of buyer persona who wants to stay in a nicer place in the right location. But we never want to sacrifice or discount location because that's the number one thing we can't change about a property. So okay. anyway, so I you're you're right. I'm right. Everybody's right here. Like there's it's a strategy, right? So it's like cool. Like if you're like me and you know nothing about construction and you never know nothing about rehabs and you're looking at markets, you don't know contractors. It's scary. And you're like, you know yeah. what? I just want the new bill. Like, but that's what you determine before you start looking. And that's how you maximize your returns. Okay. Another question I have here is on the location point, because we are seeing Airbnb specifically is very big right now on categories and, you know, highlighting A-frames and really, you know, that just have great design and they might be further from the water or further from the ski resort or whatever it is, but they're getting a spotlight right now. What would you kind of say to that? Like I've seen people, I don't know if you're familiar with Crestline. So like Big Bear where I'm at is like prime location on the on this mountain. That's where the ski resort is. And lower elevation, there's this little city called Crestline. And all of a sudden it popped up because it's way cheaper prices, but there's no lake. There's no ski resort there. And I've seen a lot of investors jump in there. And because it's so much cheaper to buy, they're doing like epic tree houses. There's no regulation. It's unincorporated. And they're just killing it with these really cool, unique stays. And I've been like nervous to venture into that because I know there is no ski resort and no lake. And you really are relying on that unique factor. But these properties seem to be doing well. And I know it's a really good price point for people who have a lower budget. What would kind of be your answer or approach to that strategy? Yeah. So I think a year or two ago, I would have said, yeah, go all in. This year, I'm a little more hesitant. So when we're investing in real estate, it's a long-term strategy. It's not short-term, right? So it goes back to the island, being on an island. What they're doing, can it be replicated? The answer is yes. That If it easily replicated, there's a problem. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it means they're winning today. But tomorrow, when it gets replicated, which it will, anything successful mm -hmm. gets replicated. When when that it, it they they'll they'll be in trouble. They'll start losing out. So it, it's like one of those things. And I've seen that time and time again. That's what we're kind of witnessing across the board. It's like two years ago, you could put up an Airbnb anywhere and it make money. Now you absolutely cannot do that. Yeah. So it's all about like, and you'll see these micro trends happening. It's trends, right? It's not an investment strategy. It's a trend. And we have to be careful between distinguishing a trend and an investment strategy. And if it can be replicated, there's the issue. There's the problem. Okay. So, okay. I, I mean, I, it, I I guess that's the question is, can it be replicated? And if the answer is yes, then it's, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch it. If it can't, then yeah, sure. Like, I think it's a great idea because it's, it's provided an island in and of itself. That's something unique that can't be replicated in Big Bear or in the better locations. So, okay. but your hesitation though, your gut feeling is telling you something and that's essentially what it is saying. Okay. That's a great answer. And then one more thing I want to touch on too, just from when you were rattling off the list of places, these emerging markets you see, you touched on seasonality. And this is one where I have retrained my approach on this. I used to think seasonality bad. Oh my gosh, stay away. You know, you want something that's more <laughs> yeah. year round. 
And I met a woman at, I forget, one of the short-term rental conferences, maybe it was in Nashville this year, who's operating in Cape Cod. And they, Cape Cod's a very interesting market. I think they're only operational for maybe four months of the year and they completely shut down. It's not like there is like a low season or you just have to price it lower. They shut down, like all the pipes are closed off and everything. There's no business. And she was telling me in those four months, she does, I think, $160,000 gross. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of like, oh my gosh, but you're only operating for four months. Don't you feel like you could make so much more in a market where you have eight more months? And her answer was just shocking to me, but she was like, no, I love it. I have a full-time job that I work eight months of the year. And then I take time off. I take a sabbatical and I go all in on operating my STR for four months and I make 160 grand and go back to my job. And so for her, it was a huge plus side. So when you touched on the seasonality and I think you said that, where was it? Ozarks, maybe that you can do like 150 to 180,000 in just a few months. That's definitely something I know that I've been like my gut feeling always told me seasonality bad, but I'm really retraining the way that I view that. Yeah. My, so my property in it's in Watkins Glen, New York. It's very similar. Like I, you know, weather is Cape Cod kind of, I mean, yeah, it's four or five months out of the year and then it's dead nothing. I, I didn't have a booking from January all the way until like the end of April, which was kind of scary for me because it's never <laughs> happened before. But I literally made the enough money in two months. So May and June to cover all the expenses for the entire year. So August, September, October, and then I get a couple in November, December, it's all profit. So this property I purchased for $350,000. I was all in down payment, closing costs, furnishings, everything. in. I was all in at hundred K and I put in a hot tub too, but that was 0% down zero financing for five years, which was awesome. So I, I added these things to this property I'm all in at 100K and I grossed in the first year 95,000. Wow. Yeah. So I should profit. It it came out to be about 45 after, you know, everything. But so, yeah, so I get, I pretty much get my money back in about two years, which is, was awesome. So I'll be coming up where I'll have it back and be able to go and roll into another property or another investment. So, but my occupancy rate for the year is 30%. That's such a like adjustment for me to get used to. I mean, Big Bear, you know, we have our high winters and high summers, spring and fall taper off a little bit, but it really is a four season resort. And so for me, I'm just always like, if it's not 85% occupancy for the year, it's failing. But this is a new strategy that I'm definitely coming around, warming up to. I see the benefits. The best markets are seasonal two, two seasons, maybe three at, at best, but other two seasons or less. So like, you know, I mentioned Michigan that's well, Northern Michigan kind of has a winter season too, but you know, still it's like very, it's seasonal. A lot of the Midwest, there's a lot of crazy good markets there, like on the lakes or whatever, and extremely seasonal, but doing very well when you look at it. So you just have to be careful. Like you have to have your property ready. I think that's something that's so important. Like when it's like, I do deep cleans, heavy maintenance, everything during the winter time. And by time April rolls around, kind of doing a pass-through check. I go to the property, inspect it, make sure everything's good to go. We have backups of everything because yeah, I don't want to miss a month of summer for downtime. You don't even want to miss a night in those cases. Yeah, like, exactly. Oh yeah. Turnovers exactly. have to be efficient. Yeah. Okay. It's insane. This house is like the ADR during the summertime is like over, it's like $1,200 a night. 
for this. Oh my gosh, yeah, for like, three hundred like, houses that are, you know, like I'm like, yeah, I just have this like lake property that's doing, you know, twelve hundred a night or thirteen hundred or whenever it is. And anyway, and then yeah, during the winter time, it's like you know, three hundred bucks a night. <laughs> so yeah. back down to reality if someone books it. So. Another thing you touched on was with Blue Ridge. You mentioned that that was a market where you see a decrease right now in tourism. I would love to know if you would, could there potentially be a strategy where an investor could be like, oh, it's almost like a stock market. Like, let's buy right now while it's low. Like, would you recommend something like that? Like, hey, tourism's now down, so people aren't buying there. Now's the time to get in and it'll pick up eventually. No, not at all. Not, no. to, not, not, yeah, not speaking to the masses here. I mean, an expert who knew what to look for and understood, like just, I mentioned those four finding things like keys or whatever I call them, location, design to core quality and value adds. You've got to be like, that's something you learn how to do. It's not something you mm-hmm. just easily pick up with practice. So experienced investors, yes, who know the area very well, who can like go in there and quickly identify and they know what works and what doesn't work and find deals undervalued because people are selling because they're panicking. But there's a lot of stuff for sale and it's hard to tell what's going to do well and what's not. And I see a lot of rookie investors going, oh, well, they said in 2022, it made this. And I'm like, cool, but what's it doing in 2023? It's probably 25 to 30% less. You know, and they're they're having a hard time being able to to determine that and know what to do. So I wouldn't chase those markets at all. So stay away. Okay. Okay. You heard it here, folks. Okay. So let's go through. There are right now two markets, I'll say maybe three, that I personally am interested in. And I would love to hear your thoughts on this. One of them you already knocked on earlier, but Louisville. That's that's a no-go. I think that you touched on it's a little tough right now with the regulation. Yes. I would just hold like they have some really I've heard some horror stories. So I know someone personally who bought there and was told to, oh yeah, you'll get your permit. And they rehab their place. They made it super nice, ready to go. And the, there there's like a community, like you have to show up to a community hearing or whatever, and and the person representing them said, you don't have to show up. It's not a big deal. Like no one's ever shown up before and they get their permits. So they didn't. They live in California and the entire neighborhood showed up to oppose it. So guess what happened? They didn't get their permit. There's no appeal process. So oh my God. Yeah. So they're, yeah, they're pretty upset about it, but, and I'm not like, like I said, I'm not trying to scare people away from Louisville, but they have some strict rules where like, I think you can only short-term rental within a hundred yards or something of another or outside of a hundred yards or something like that of another short-term rental and things like that. So I would just kind of let the dust settle and then come back to it. Because once again, the Island, like if you can find a place in the right area that like, you know, somebody happens to be selling one with a permit or they're selling and you, you know, you could buy it and then get the permit that that's opportunity, but you got to be really careful, involve attorneys, make sure everything's done correctly. So not something I would, but right now that particular market, I would shy away from for the moment. Okay. Cause I mean, honestly, the reason I was interested there is because my sister lives there. So I Mm -hmm. thought it would be great to have a place to stay at when I visit her or something. And I just, why not the perfect trail? So possibly, (laughs) but let me, let me tell you what my thought process behind Louisville was. I'm open to bourbon trail as well, but I was thinking I've seen like Austin or Nashville or even Scottsdale, those three cities. I do not remember them being this huge the way they are today 
even like five or six years ago, like yeah. Nashville and, and Scottsdale have completely taken over as like friend group trips and bachelorette party trips, whereas that used to be Vegas all the way. And my thought was Louisville seems to be one of those cities that has that charm where it could turn into a future Austin, mm-hmm. Nashville, Scottsdale. And I was thinking getting in now would just be a really smart long-term play. But when I looked into the regulation, yeah, I think there was a rule that you can't be within 600 feet or whatever it is of another STR. And it was just tough to find. You basically would have to overpay to purchase something that already has that permit in place and the numbers weren't making sense. So, you know, then I kind of started thinking maybe Indianapolis or Kansas City also seem to have the same feel to me. And I like that we touched on this earlier. If all goes to hell, there's more of an option there where I could revert to a long-term rental or a mid-term rental. Bourbon Trail, I don't know. That just seems a little more... See, this is me getting in my head. I was going to say it seems more seasonal, but maybe seasonality is not a bad thing anymore. <laughs> the Bourbon Trail is a three-season market, so okay. we're seeing a lot of like fall. Actually, fall is really, really big there. Spring's really big there, too. Early okay. summer is kind of when it like there's not a whole lot going on. But, I mean, it, the Bourbon Trail is for bourbon right so bourbon isn't weather you know dependent or anything like that so it's definitely right but you you still need to be careful there you still need to study the market it's not just go buy a property the rehab play that you talked about earlier is a fantastic play in the bourbon trail by the way so finding something that has that southern charm and then turning it into something amazing those are the properties that do well I know a lot of people who are doing very well there and I know some people who are doing not so well there. So it just, and and when I look at the properties that aren't doing well, it's because they didn't, they didn't target the buyer persona. They bought a property based on what they think would do well without thinking about who they're trying to target. So all the people I know well are, that are doing well, they, they either have like nice like Victorian houses or houses that are like in the countryside, like with that Southern, you know, charm mm. and that, the amenities and things like that on some land, you know, just like very Kentucky. <laughs> so, yeah. you yeah. know, and, and that's really what you want to do is focus on your, your guest. I call it guest avatar, buyer persona, whatever you want to call it. Focus on that. And who are you trying to target and how are you going to attract them to your place? And how are you going to differentiate from, from the other people? So. I don't think I've ever had a sip of bourbon in my life. So I don't know if I could, if I could attract the bourbon trail goer, maybe that is not people supposedly go through there a year. So 3 million, that's quite a bit. And there are not that many short-term rentals in that area. Like I would say definitely under a thousand for the entire trail. So, so where are people staying when they go? Are there hotels there? There are hotels. There are, you know, obviously there's Louisville and Kentucky, uh, like Lexington as well. So like, obviously in those areas and their short-term rentals in those areas. But yeah, I mean, you, you had to think like there's a route, either of distilleries throughout and they're just on the countryside, you know? And so not a lot of houses out there. So a lot of farms, okay. uh, not short-term okay. rentals. Okay. Another market that I'm interested in, and I also think this one's going to be a no, is Palm Springs, which they just have, it's not banned to do short-term rentals. But wait, wait, what was that? Palm Springs, California? Yes, Palm Springs, California. Yeah, I think you can only have one and they limit it. You can only do, I think it's 24 rental contracts a year, which there's a lot of like snowbirds from Canada that will stay for three months at a time. So, you know, you can kind of spread out those 24, not across the whole year, but in a tighter time frame. But 
I don't know. It's just for me, it's like a dream to own there. But I think I have to let that idea go because the numbers are not making sense. Well, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I'll say this too. You also made the point earlier where you see opportunity in markets where there's not a lot of competition. And this is definitely an area where the homes that are being booked are just absolutely insane. Like you would have to drop 200,000 to compete with the design and the quality and the amenities in this market. Yeah. So it, it ultimately all comes back to the, the idea of like what, when you say something numbers aren't penciling out or this is a bad deal or this is a good deal. Like what is that? Understanding that definition of what that means, you know? So when we sit down with clients and we're like assessing, they're like, Kenny, just find me a good deal. Help me out here cool. Well, what is a good deal to you? You know, how much do you want to cash flow? A lot of, we find that a lot of people, they, the cash flow is great, but it's not necessarily like the, you know, the most important thing. Maybe it's appreciation. Maybe it's the tax savings. That's a big one too. We never buy something purely for just appreciation or tax savings. We want to have something that at least breaks even, but we get all these other benefits and certain markets perform differently than others. And so depending on a client's need or whoever's need, your needs, if you're focused on cash flow, yeah, Palm Springs probably isn't the best fit. But somebody else, it could be. It just depends on what they're looking to obtain and their goals are for the short terminal investment. So for me, my goal with Palm Springs, this is truly just like a path. Like I just want to own there so badly and have a home I could use myself. So do you think it's possible? And I know, you know, maybe you haven't looked in this market and we'd have to like sit down and and run through, but is it possible to just like break even there and get into it for that strategy? Like you said, I don't want to lose money on the place, but the long-term appreciation and having something I want to visit, would that be worthwhile? Sure. Potentially. Yeah. So, I mean, there would be a lot of research involved in that and sure we could take a look at it, but it also is going to come down to the property too. You know, mm-hmm. where is the location? What's the quality? What's the, you know, all the other aspects, how much cash you're going to have to put into it, basically underwrite it and right, to put in a performer or calculate all the expenses out and try to figure out like, okay, cool. Like this specific one versus this one on the other side of town, they're going to perform differently. And so, you know, that that's really ultimately what I, in my mind, what I would want to look at too. Something I'd love to ask you as well is in some of these emerging markets where there are not as many comps right now, how are you doing deal analysis? What are you comparing the homes to when you're one of the first ones on the scene? Yeah, so I'm going to put in a little plug for STR Insights on this one, our software. <laughs> so the the cool thing about STR Insights is that we give you access to every market in the country, no matter like you're not paying per market. And that's unique for all the other data providers that you might be familiar with. So when you come and somebody had this issue the other day, like I just bought this market from, you know, insert other data provider name, anyone pick any of the other ones, because none of them do it like us. And they didn't have any data for my, you know, market. Does your comp, does your software have data for my market? And I'm like, well, if they don't have data, why would we, we literally are tracking similar things. So why would we have any more data than them? But I said, look, Just because you're looking at a geographical market doesn't mean that's a true market. So a market is really a region. That's a true market. And when we look at these emerging markets, like, for example, northern Michigan, you've got Traverse City all the way to like mirrors, like this whole region is a single market. And when you break out a region, there's hundreds, if not thousands of rentals in a typical region. And so I was running, I was running a deal for another friend in some random town in the middle of Wisconsin on a lake. And there was like 60 properties and (laughs) nothing 
what you could but so i started looking at every town and city around the area in this and i started looking at everywhere that would be like somewhat similar in the same you know geographical region to this particular market and i started finding a few comps and was saying look look at the percentage difference between how these properties are doing versus the other properties so what i mean by that is Let's say that, you know, she's got this really unique property. It's going to be on the lake. There's nothing like it, the luxury and stuff she's going to do to it. Like there's nothing there, but all the properties on the lake are making $50,000 on average. Okay. So mm -hmm. she goes and she looks at lakes nearby comparable lake markets and she sees if there's any luxury properties and she might find one or two. And, and let's say they're making a hundred thousand dollars. So that's a hundred percent increase you know, depending on, and the revenue could be different. Like the average in those markets could be 75,000 and these luxury ones are doing 150, but we can see that the, there's a percentage difference. And that's what I use when I'm trying to evaluate properties rather than just saying like, oh, way over here, they're making so much more. It's like, what's the percentage difference and how does that relate to this one? What we have found, especially with luxury properties, it is, it's a proven model for almost any market, meaning that those type of properties are usually the first ones to be booked, assuming okay. they're in the best, uh, the, a good location than the other properties, because people want to stay in nicer properties than where they currently live. So they mm -hmm. go for the luxury ones, they go for the nicer ones, and they're willing to pay more for it. And they typically do significantly more. And so in these type of markets where it's just not proven, we have to go out and look at the region instead. Okay. Okay. So you're, you're pretty confident that if you look at the region, you can kind of replicate those numbers, even if it's just a little pocket that hasn't really been tapped into yet. Yeah. Yes. I mean, obviously it depends on the region sure. and what's there and everything too, but, but there, there are certain things like, you know, if you're like talking about building a tree house, that's going to be completely different than putting in a luxury property. You know, so it's like proven things that across the country trends that just like kind of generically work, you know, and then focusing in on this particular area and saying and trying to find comparable properties rather than just in this tiny region, just or tiny market, like look at the region kind of thing. So sure. Okay. Another question that comes to mind for you is if a remote investor were to approach you and you guys find the property for them and, you know, the numbers are making sense, it hits their goals. What's your opinion on like, do you think that people should go out and visit the property or see it in person before they close on it? Or do you feel like you can just rely on the data alone? Yeah, no, I 100% do not rely on the data alone. I would not okay. recommend anyone not put eyes on a property. I mean, um, realtors. So the way we kind of do things is we have a network of really good short-term rental realtors as well, who we're just that build relationships with. And so when we help a client find a property, we contact them. We ask them a few questions, but here's the thing. Realtors sell. So nothing against realtors. I'm sure there's some listening, but their job is to sell. So, right. you know, it, I, if you always ask a realtor, do you think this is a good property? They're going to say yes, you know, <laughs> unless it's like, obviously not, but they're like, you have to ask them other questions like, Hey, how are other properties doing in this area? You know, does this property have X, Y, or Z, you know, in terms of amenities or hot tub hookup or whatever, like these type of questions, like what's the grade to, of the road up to the property? You know, is it, is it four wheel drive only? Like those things matter. And yeah. they're going to be the ones who can answer some of those in-person questions. And then 
you know, I would put the property under contract, especially if it's another state and then go check it out, my opinion. So, okay. Yeah. At least the adverse of that. I just hate to see somebody lose a deal because they had to buy tickets and go check it out first. And then, yeah. And so. it was gone by the time they landed. Yeah. I know when I was more actively looking into Louisville, there was one house that popped up that was, would have fit the regulation. It was far enough from different places on the Zillow listing, it looked fine. Like it was just a zoomed in picture of that house. And I actually asked my sister to drive by and she called me right after and was like, nope, like the neighbors on either side were just, there was trash in the yard. Like it was a horrible street. Absolutely not. And yeah, that just, you know, I had like boots on the ground there, but I know in a lot of cases, if people contact you and reach out about a city, they've never even stepped foot in or don't know anyone. I would recommend going in. I definitely do that. You got to check it out. Right. Because I mean, even the realtor, I'm not saying realtor, all realtors do this. So please don't get offended if you're listening and you're a realtor. <laughs> but, you know, I've even had realtors like say, well, it's in an up and coming neighborhood. And I'm like, OK, I know what that means. Like, it's like not <laughs> yeah. a good neighborhood, you know, but but look, like we got it. Yeah, we, that's part of our own, you know, due diligence and checking yeah. out in person. I even go talk to neighbors before I buy any property. I'll talk to the neighbors. Hey, I'm thinking about putting a short term rental here. How do you feel about that? You know, I take good care of it, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I build a relationship with them. But if they're like, oh, no, I hate them. Then, yeah, I'm probably just going to say, even though it's a cool property, it's not going to work, you know, because I don't want to risk, you know, any of that. So, yeah, yeah. Great advice. Okay. I'd love to transition a little bit and talk about this. Your Insights is offering a new service right now. I know just beyond the subscription to the software, you guys will actually help people now find a property that checks all of their boxes. So what would that process look like if I'm listening to this and now I'm even more overwhelmed because you just dropped so many different good markets <laughs> and new factors to consider? Where yeah. do I go from here? Honestly, just hop on a free call. Well, yeah, I'm sure we'll have a link in the, the show notes or something. Yeah. Just, well, we'll get, we'll hop on a free consultation with you. So whether it works or doesn't work, we'll at least point you in the right direction. I can't tell you how many people I talk to who, you know, think they should buy a property. It's just not the right time. Or, you know, they've been looking for months and months and months and they're stuck or they're in a 1031 exchange and they need help. You know, I like, we can help you and we'll at least point you in the right to the right resources to get you started or whatever you need. Like just hop on a free call with us and we'll evaluate your situation. So I've, I've talked to a lot of people, like some of my students right now, when I ask them, are they in this more for the month to month income and cash flow or more for appreciation? A lot of people don't even know. They just know that there's benefits of STR investing, but they're not sure. I guess I want to ask like, what sort of questions or things should people think about before they jump on a call with you? Like what kind of thoughts should you have on like your goals and and what you're looking for? I mean, most people don't even know their goals and that's fine. I've come to realize that like, they don't even know how to calculate, well, what cash flow, how much cash flow should I want? Yeah. Or, you know, how should I expect to appreciate like all these different things? They don't know that and they don't know how to scale too. So I don't expect anybody I talk to, frankly, to know how to do any of that. It's great. You know, it's a shorter conversation, but in reality, all I want you to do is know why are you purchasing the short-term rental? What's the goal? What's the end goal? What are you looking for? Financial freedom? Is this going to replace your W-2? Or is this going to be just be supplemental or a good investment? You know, what do you want to accomplish out of this one? And then what's your long-term vision here? So not, I want to buy 10 properties and I want to make $200,000, but like, is it to replace your W-2? Because this property is the first step or it's the second, wherever you are, but it's not probably going to help you reach that end goal to tomorrow. It's just like mm-hmm. on the way. 
And we also want to set you up for success. Meaning like what I like to look at people's situations and go, cool. Even your financing, if you buy this property with this type of loan, it'll paint you in a corner and you will not be able to get financing for future houses. Like, what do you do? So we say, okay, look, you know what? Here are some other options. And this is how we're going to help you. Like, this is how you're going to scale. Like, this is the plan. This is the map, the roadmap. You're building a business. You're making it. You're doing investment. You need to have a strategy. So it's about laying that out. So for someone, I guess, to answer your question more directly, it's like, just understand your why. Why are you buying the short-term rental? If you tell me to make money, that's not good enough. To get rich quick, not good. And that's not the purpose of this. Why are you doing this? What's what's driving you behind this? Because as I'm sure you know, things can get hard with this, you know, in terms of managing guests and setting things up and the operations and all the technology. You got to be motivated. I see people dropping out on Facebook all the time. Ah, it's it's I'm giving up on Airbnb. <laughs> and you're just like every day in it for the right reasons to begin with. So it's very unique. It's very lucrative, but don't get caught into the, just the money side of it to understand the why you have, if you're going to manage it yourself, you need to be hospitable, right? You need to understand mm -hmm. hospitality. And so that's so important. And that's, that's the main question I want people to have answered is, you know, why am I getting, cause I'm going to ask it, you know, and if it's not good enough, I'm going to say, look, probably shouldn't be doing this, you know? <laughs> so let's save everybody some time here and move on. <laughs> If somebody jumps on one of these 15 minutes minute calls with you and they are like me where they've been set on a couple markets where it seems like the numbers are not necessarily going to make sense, what solutions could you offer someone like that? Like finding a similar market or maybe just like yeah, so, your goals for right market we're looking at? It's expectations, right? So you told me, you know, Palm Beach, like, okay, cool. Well, here's what these properties are currently doing. Here's the prices of them. Here's the regulation here. That's the, that's what it is. It is what it is. You know, maybe if you found a property that was like this and at this price point and like, you know, the stars aligned here and the planets aligned over there, like, yeah, it makes sense, but that's what it is. And so if that's not good enough, like, Hey, here's another market that fits what you're asking for it, you know, that you could check out. And that, that's kind of what we do is we say, look, here are your options. You know, here's the expectations the market's giving right now. And if you're dead set on that market, Cool. We might not be able to help you, but this is probably what you're going to find there. That's going to hit that if you find something. So on, on the flip side, if somebody comes to you with no idea which market and they're like, Kenny, all I know is I need to make 5,000 a month in order to leave my job. Can you Perfect. direct those people? <laughs> Heck yeah. That's where I special. And frankly, like that's totally fine. I love it when people come to me and they're like, I have no idea. And then I just I ask them a thousand questions and we nail them down and we say, okay, here are the markets that you should be targeting based off of what you just told me. And, you know, and then ask them, what do you think of these markets? And they're like, I don't really like, you know, hot springs or I don't really like this, you know, Luray yeah. or West Virginia or wherever, you know, it's like, okay, cool. Well, let's go to these places. Let's nail out these personal preferences that you have and understand what works for you and your investment strategy and your goals. I think it's really exciting that you guys are offering this service. I told you this before we talked today, but the number one question I get in my Instagram DMs is always, okay, great. I'm bought in. I've been listening. I know I'd be good at this. Where do I start? Like, yeah. where do I buy? What market? I don't even know what property to look at. And I know there are the data softwares out there, but I think for 
kind of like you touched on, if you're not the seasoned investor, you just don't even know how to navigate these softwares on your own and having it done for you and somebody to hold your hand through it is going to be a huge value add for a lot of people. So I love that you're offering this. We will drop that call link in the show notes, you guys. So you can just jump on a 15 minute call with Kenny and he'll start rattling off those thousand questions from there and and you guys will be off to the races. Kenny, is there anything you want to leave us with before we wrap up today? No, I, I, I'll i just say this, like, you know, maybe in detriment to myself and what we've set up and maybe I shouldn't say this, but the, the honest truth about it in terms of finding a property, I know when somebody subscribes to the software, they're looking for a property. You know, we, we provide the best market finding software out there, but ultimately they're trying to find a property, right? And so why we created this service is to help investors find properties, get the outcome they're going for. So not just tell them how to do it, but like show them how to do it and do it like essentially for them, right? Like walk, hey, here are properties that fit and Mm -hmm. walk them through the entire process. So if you're new and you're, you've got, you know, paralysis by analysis, or you're looking to get started or whatever it is, you're in a 1031 exchange even, or you're just been stuck and you're like, I don't know what to do. Just hop on a call with me and I can lay out some options, whether you guys decide to do our service or point you in the right direction. I don't care. I just want to help you get to that outcome of finding a profitable property. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kenny. We'll drop how to connect with you and everything below. All right. Thanks. And finally, for today's Am I the Airbnb Hole, we have a host who apparently just hates children and laughter and happiness. Let me just get straight to the point with this one and read you what what we're working with. So this host posted a picture that looks like it was taken from their ring camera of their driveway that had some chalk drawings on it. Actually, it's not even their driveway. It's like out in the cul-de-sac area. So on the street, but it looks like their guests maybe had kids who are drawing with sidewalk chalk and street chalk. And this person posted, well, some kids had a lot of fun drawing with chalk, which is fine by me. But if I'm the following guest, it might not be okay for everyone. I would never let my child do that in a rental, though. This made me think, do you ask your guests to leave their property and surroundings as they found them and state the obvious in your listing slash renter agreement? What verbiage do you use? What's obvious to us might not be to others. When I saw that, I was like, is this woman for real? And again, it's not even on her like driveway. It's on the street from the picture she posted. So very well, somebody could check in and not even know that it was a previous guest and just be like, oh, it was the neighbor's kids or something. I I just saw this and I was like, where, why did her brain even go to this place? There's no chalk even on the property or in her house or anything like that. It's on the street. And I just don't understand what, why her brain even thought this would be an issue. And I know she's like, oh, it's fine by me, but what will the next renter say? If I'm the next renter, I feel like I'd be like, oh, great. This is an awesome, cute, family-friendly neighborhood. Like, seems safe and and civil and like a nice, quiet place where kids can play in the cul-de-sac and draw with street chalk. It wouldn't even occur to me to have a problem with this. And the fact that her brain went there, even though she said it's fine by her, this is weird to me. And luckily, the comments, the comments were full-on in agreement. So let's read some of the comments here. Kimberly said, when it rains, it will be gone. Let kids be kids. Better they play outside than in the house. Agreed. <laughs> Scott said, writing this sentence was more energy than I would waste worrying about street chalk. Agreed. 
Graham said, it's chalk. Grab a hose and spray it away. Some of y'all are too uptight. Agreed. Allison commented and said, shock is completely fine by me, but I once had parents actually allow their kids to paint. I was pressure washing for hours and that is not okay. Yeah, that is a different story. Chalk is harmless though. Um, This guy, Brad, said, this is just another wonderful reminder not to have kids or bring them on vacation ever. Okay, Brad, go away. Kelly said, funny, I don't mind shock at all, but my husband hates it. I would probably hose it off before the next guest. What? Who hates chalk? Like, what has chalk ever done to you? This reminds me one time we were at a city council meeting for Big Bear short-term rental regulations. And I remember this one woman who was a local who lived full-time in Big Bear. Usually, you know, it's kind of the locals pitted against the outside investors. But this woman was a local and she stood up to speak and basically said, I don't know why people are hating so much on short-term rentals. I actually love that I get to feel like I have neighbors. I live in a town that just has a lot of empty second homes most of the year. And now because of Airbnb, they're full most of the time. And I feel like I have a community around me. And she literally said something at the podium. She was like, I love when I'm sitting outside on my rocking chair and a family just checked into the place next to me and I get to hear the kids like giggling and laughing and singing and playing like that just brings me so much joy and there are these two women sitting in front of me who were on the anti-airbnb side and as soon as she said that they literally looked at each other and were just like oh my god that is the most annoying sound i was like who hurt you what is wrong with you guys how does the sound of children laughing and playing how do you find that annoying that is the most wonderful sound in the entire world so this lady who posted this that her husband hates chalk, I feel like he would get along great with those two women. Like, what is wrong with some people? Um, this girl, Brenda, said, this is why I don't accept children because few parents actually know how to parent. The least they could have done was clean it up or not allow it in the first place. Again, Brenda, like, who hurt you? Why is this a big deal? This is why I don't accept children because few parents actually parent. This, to me, is actually peak parenting. I would way rather have parents who bring a box of sidewalk shock and let their kids go out to the cul-de-sac, then keep them on their iPad inside all day. Like, this is peak parenting to me. And then we have a comment from Rachel who said, we complain that kids are on electronics all day, but then we are mad because they were outside playing with sidewalk shock. Agreed. Agreed. And then finally, last comment I'll share, which I just loved, was from Tamara, who posted a picture of a full-on chalk wall that they painted in their short-term rental. And she said, we created a chalk wall inside for kids to draw on. Let kids be kids. Love this. Like, that is a creative way to handle this. If you are catering towards families, and I guess if it really bothers you to have chalk on the street, then fine. Paint a chalk wall in the house, and you might as well encourage that playfulness inside. I feel like families would love that. Provide chalk and provide like a designated area for kids to do a chalk wall. I love this. Loved Tamara's comment. Obviously, the Airbnb hole here is this host who is just way too uptight. She ended up turning off comments on this post. I don't blame her. I would be embarrassed. She should have just deleted this altogether. Honestly, I forget who it was, but that one guy who commented writing this sentence was more energy than worrying about the sidewalk chalk. I agree. I don't know why this even became a thing at all. She is the Airbnb hole. The parents were wonderful. I love that they encouraged their kids to go outside and be creative rather than playing on an iPad. The kids are fine. The kids made a cute little design. 
everything is fine. Everything is fine, and some hosts need to honestly chill. And with that, it is now checkout time. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you back here next week. Lastly, as Airbnb hosts, we all can appreciate a good five-star review. So you already know a great review on this podcast would mean so much to me. Please subscribe, review, share, and connect with me in the show notes below. Bye!